When I was a seminary student back in 2001, I fell head over heels madly in love with another seminary student. Jay, the object of my affection, had taken the scenic route to our Unitarian Universalist Seminary. From being a Southern Baptist as a child, to being a serious student of philosophy in college, to being an American Baptist minister, all experiences which shaped him and for which he was immensely grateful. Jay and I were both serious runners back in the day, and very early in our courtship, at the tail end of a nine-mile jaunt in the Berkeley Hills, he stopped sharply. Look! What? His tone led me to look for a dead body or an incoming missile. <laughs> it was a spider. <laughs> and Jay was utterly delighted. You stop a run for a spider? But seeing said spider through Jay's eyes... It was a miracle. Look at this web, he said. Have you ever seen a spider like this? Look at this yellow. Jay had the same childlike wonder when it came to music. He was captivated and sometimes moved to tears by John Coltrane and John Prine, Maria Callas, and Aretha Franklin. And food. The man was over the moon for pesto and pasta. He ate every juicy peach as if it was the first peach. And poetry. He woke up 30 minutes early most days to read collections from writers I'd never heard of and talked about how doing so fed his soul. I can tell you I would not be sharing the Polish poet Wojtawa Szymborska without Jay's deep love of poetry. And he gave his energy to make the world better. He told me stories about how he served on corporate responsibility boards, comforted men at an AIDS hospice in their last days, helped to create a community health clinic, and worked to end the death penalty. Maybe it was just the blush of a soulmate kind of love, but getting to know Jay, I felt like I was getting to know the fullness of human life for the first time. As crazy as I was about this man, it was then jarring to me as we continued to get to know each other that it, when it came to theology, we were seriously out of sync, <laughs> or so it seemed. Over the course of many wonderful years with his liberal Baptist congregation, and yes, liberal Baptist congregations do exist, Jay finally determined that he could not with integrity continue to preach the gospel of Christianity as the central story. And he also found over time that he was less and less interested in focusing even on the notion of God. During a summer continuing education class at the Graduate Theological Union, he studied with the prominent humanist Corin Arisian and was captivated by Arisian's soulful expression of humanism. While Jay eschewed labels, he said that mystical humanist probably fit him best. Humanist? My deeply felt calling by God brought me to seminary. It was my burning desire to serve God and the voice of God that led me to my new life. And here I was, 
seriously smitten by a humanist. <laughs> this summer, we continue to make our way through our Unitarian Universalist sources, and our fifth source is humanist teachings. Jay, a deeply spiritual, open-hearted man, didn't sync up with my perception of humanism, which I now realize was not rooted in any real understanding of humanism, just an unhelpful, narrow stereotype. So just in case you ever end up in seminary and fall in love with a humanist, <laughs> I'm going to give you a quick primer so that you're prepared. Humanism is a rich and really ancient tradition. Buddhism, Confucianism, and Taoism, all non-theistic faiths, all have humanist elements. Ancient Greece can be considered the heart of modern Western humanism, which began bubbling about 500 years before the Common Era. Some of the many prominent philosophers in that time expressed skepticism about the gods they wrestled with what it means to be an ethical human being. Protagoras, one of those philosophers, said, As for the gods, I do not know whether they exist or not. Life is too short for such difficult inquiries. Humankind is the measure of all things, determining what does and what does not exist. Humanism flourished during the Renaissance, the age of Leonardo and Michelangelo, of Dante and Petrarch and Machiavelli. Humanists of this age rejected the otherworldliness of medieval Christianity. They read texts with a critical and rational eye and turned their attention to making the most of this life. These asserted in painting and writing and in their very way of living that Knowledge should not be held captive in service of religion, but freed to flourish on its own. Skipping forward in history, Unitarian ministers John Dietrich and Curtis Reese started preaching the notion of religion without God, but with a strong emphasis on social change during the First World War. Dietrich did not believe that purpose in life came from outside of us, he affirmed, a happy and active person does not ask for some external plan to give life meaning. She or he creates it. So Dietrich is, is sharing his concept of a uh, religion without God, which causes a kerfuffle within Unitarianism. Could a non-creedal liberal religion really accommodate those who did not focus their religion on a god at all? For a couple of decades in the early 20th century, the theist-humanist debate raged. And in the end, Unitarians decided that our faith could accept, even embrace, these radical thinkers. The word, the word religion is derived from a word that means to bind together or to reconnect. So even without a focus on God, William Murray says that humanism <coughs> binds people together and helps people reconnect with ultimate reality understood as nature or life without illusion. He says that religious humanists, the most 
common type of humanists that we're likely to see in our UU congregations, tend to be more apt to cherish and nourish such qualities as awe, wonder, and reverence, and to acknowledge that much we do not understand remains in the realm of mystery. My erroneous assumption was that humanists were all atheists, or at the very least agnostic. And there are lots and lots of humanists who fit and are fine with those understandings. But I also learned that it's a mistake to define humanists by what they don't believe. There's a tremendous diversity among the humanist umbrella, but almost all humanists share a handful of the same positive values and beliefs. Humanists believe in the intrinsic value of every human being, that we are born neither good nor evil, but are educable. Humanists affirm that we're all part of one human family and are connected to the rest of the natural world, part of a cosmic story far bigger than we can imagine. Humanists believe that our energy and our focus should be placed on this life. The American Humanist Association says, humanism is a philosophy for the here and now. Humanists regard human values as making sense only in the context of human life, rather than in the promise of a supposed life after death. Humanists believe that we humans are responsible. Amanda Popeye says, in the humanist view, change will happen in our world because we make it happen. And that change will take all of us. Next time you're at a protest or a march, if you took an unscientific poll among people participating, my guess is that you would find a significant percentage of humanists. A humanist knows if you got kids in cages, we humans have got to get them out. Glaciers melting, that's our job too. And clearly our thoughts and prayers did not stop the shootings in Dayton and El Paso. Whatever the solution is to our nation's mass shootings, it lies in our human hands and in our human minds. That is daunting. But humanism also promotes that we humans are capable of taking even the most monumental tasks on successfully. We believe in optimism rather than pessimism, as affirms the Council on Secular Humanism, hope rather than despair. Humanists are not giver-uppers. Part of this grand hope stems from humanist appreciation of science. The full rendering of our fifth source is humanist teachings which counsel us to heed the guidance of reason and the results of science and warn us against idolatries of the mind and spirit. Guided by humanist thought, ours is a religion that is never threatened by science. Rather, it thinks science aligns comfortably with our religion. Ours is a religion that is in no way threatened by reason. Instead, we celebrate the capacity to reason, to decide and discern and decipher. We affirm that reason and science are essential to our lives. 
They are among the crown jewels of what it means to be human. We humans are the ones who can't but ask and who are driven to know. You and I are parts of religion that find those traits praiseworthy. I just talked with my mom who got back from a trip to Spain with my stepdad. My stepdad was diagnosed with stage four lung cancer four years ago. When two rounds of chemo failed, his oncologist put him on new immunotherapy drugs. The drugs unleashed the power of his own immune system to combat the tumors, which disappeared completely. Praise the power of science for the gift of prolonged life for my stepfather and for so many others. Praise science for the gift of being able to gaze into the night sky and know that the light we are seeing from the stars is 25 or 1,000 years in the past. Praise for the awe-inspiring images from the Hubble Space Telescope that help us locate ourselves in this beautiful, infinite universe. Praise science for the miracles of Google Translate and GPS and Doppler weather radar and in vitro fertilization and all of the countless ways that science aids us and heals us and finds us when we are lost. My theological differences with Jay didn't dissuade us from getting married and starting a family together and pouring our lives into a UU church. We still have widely varying perspectives about ultimate reality and what happens after we die. But it's striking that we agree so much with each other on how to live. We both aspire to live our lives with reverence, tolerance, justice, compassion, joy, humility, and with as much awe as is humanly possible. It's far more important to me that the child we share together expresses themselves fully as a human being and strives to do their part to make the world a more compassionate and more just place than it is for them to believe in God. In the words of my husband, Reverend Jay Leach, do not look up or look out Do not scan some supernatural domain or some otherworldly celestial realm. We are the creators. We are the ones bringing life in such varied forms into being. We are the makers. We humans are the ones who make art, who make discoveries, who make meaning, who make justice, who make dwellings, who make dinner, who make first downs and double plays, who make music, who make friends, who make love. And if we are also those who often make a mess of things, mythic history suggests that the gods and goddesses did little better when they had charge of things. I may entertain the possibility that there are other worlds beyond this, and I do but I agree wholeheartedly with my beloved husband that we are here now in this broken but still breathtaking world 
May we heed the humanist counsel that our task at hand and the grand opportunity is to give ourselves fully to this precious life with all of its many challenges and many joys. May it be so.